blessing. While Kristen was singing, I was thinking about this, that um, one of the neat things about pastoring at the same place for a while is you get to see kids grow up and be adults. And uh, Kristen, if you didn't know her back then, she was not a real good driver. Not a good driver at all. But Justin, I don't think she's wrecked too many cars since she'll been married, has she? That's a blessing. But then you see kids get married and have kids. And uh, then you start realizing how old you are. But you also see the blessing of it. And to see people still in church serving God and uh, a generational thing, right? And so, you know, a lot of times we'll hear people, there's a big push with, uh, again, Christianity, how do we keep young people in church, and, you know, what do we got to do to keep young people in church? Well, really, if you think about it, that's not our job. I don't mean, I don't mean that negatively. I don't think you should do anything to dissuade them from coming to church but the, the if if the church is to be the ground and pillar of truth if the whole idea is to say well we have to change everything to get young people to stay in church then what you do is change the identity of the church and you change what you believe sometimes to keep young people in church and the reality of it is to, statistically they're not going to stay anyway so what I found is when you look at our young people, our young adults that grew up in our church and, you know, even uh, teens, well, we got to get more teens. We need to have more activities. We need to do all these fun stuff. We got to have, you know, stuff on Wednesday night and Sunday night. And stuff. But here's the thing. What, what's happening is a lot of times people go to church and as a family, as soon as they get, get out of the car, everybody goes their own way. Right. They never worship together. That's good. Come on. And so I'm not against children's programs and youth ministries and all that but that's see that's not the thrust of the church because what happens these kids grow up and if it's not fun they don't go to it then they get to be adults and they're like well you know what we don't have all these activities as adults and all they do is sing and preach and man it's boring and so they don't learn how to go to church and so then they grow up to be adults and they're looking for a church with a bunch of activities that gets them out of the home, right? And they have Christian fellowship, then they don't have any time at home. Right. And so I just say this, that when you see young people coming up through church and they're staying and staying in old-fashioned, independent, Bible-believing yeah. Baptist churches and still serving God, I'm, I'm okay with that, Praise right? God. So I appreciate that, appreciate moms and dads and memos and papaws that have poured a bunch of good into them, and they've seen something real in them and said, hey, it's, it's real. And I, I know this, that young people, you know what, they want truth. They just want truth. We try to win them with fluff, and then they figure the fluff is wrong, right? Figure the fluff is no good. They just want truth. And so I'm thankful for that. We're going to be in Proverbs 30 tonight, but I want to share with you something I was uh, reading this afternoon in Titus and uh, in chapter 3. And one of the things as a, as, a, as a pastor you want to be very careful of is you want, you want your church, the church you pastor, to have an identity and a positive identity, right? And... and too much now, uh, 
with almost, Brother Jimmy, a rebellious nature that people have even when they become Christians. They never lose that rebellious nature. And it's like, well, I'll go to church, but I'm going to do what I want to do and the way I want to do it. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. And so there's no community and there's no unity and there's no, there's no oneness, right? And what I'm seeing is, and I say it quite a bit, and I say this to be a help because I, I want people to see Christ in us. I want people to have the right perception of Jesus because of us. And I think sometimes we allow our flesh and what we think and how we feel to dictate how we act. And we think it's okay. It's one thing to do it and to look and say, you know what, that's wrong. I, I need to repent and fix that. It's another thing to justify it, right? And, and so I'm, I'm reading this in Titus today. And, and again, I say this out of preparation, not so much sometimes... Uh, what happens is you say something like this and people start going, oh, well, who's doing this? As far as I know, no one, right? So it, it's more preparation so we don't do it. But it just struck me that, so here in chapter 3, verse 1 says this, but then put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates to be ready to, uh, to every good work. Yes, now watch this, to speak evil of no man. To be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. That's in your Bibles, by the way. Now notice this in verse 3. So, so he's given a very negative perception in verse 2, right? Speaking evil of men, uh, brawlers, not being gentle. He said, for we ourselves also were sometimes, were, past tense, right? So he's right and saying, listen, believers, you were this way, but now since you're born again and you are desiring more than just the milk of the word, you're wanting the meat of the word, you're putting away childish things. That's what the Bible tells us, that when, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, right? I acted, thought like a child. That's what, but see, there's a, there's a growing up that has to take place. And so the Bible said, for we ourselves also were sometimes. That's interesting. Right. Not all the time, sometimes. It's sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice. Notice these last couple, and envy, hateful. That's when it hit me, Brother Bart. I'm like, we live in such a... a hateful world and Christians have become hateful just mean the Bible said that's what you were right hateful notice this and hating one another so he's saying it's not even that you're you're hateful towards those that aren't saved he said you're even hateful to each other thought, I thought I wonder how much of that goes on with us that when people see us, they look at that and go, that's the picture of Christ. Amen. Notice verse 4, but after 
that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of uh, regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So he's saying, look, this is what you were sometimes, not even all the time, sometimes, but now something's changed. You're not that way anymore, and the reason you're not that way is because you understand that the kindness and love of God toward you appeared to you and he saved you when he shouldn't have or or you didn't deserve it. Now because of that, you're changed. And by the way, you're, you're not saved by your works of righteousness because we know that our righteousness is filthy rags. But we're saved according to his mercy. That's pretty powerful. So I'm sitting there thinking this afternoon, how much, how much of verse number two and three is evident in me towards others? And how many in you and Christians in general that others would look at us and say, well, that must be what Christianity is all about. Because the Bible says we're to speak the truth in love. And so you can be right and be hateful. You can be wrong and be loving. But what we need to be is right in love. And going into the new year, I just it struck me, I don't want people to look at us, our church, when we're outside the walls of the church, and even inside. I've been in some churches, man, they're hateful inside the church. I mean, my soul, if they're that hateful inside the church, I hate to know how they act outside the church. But we're to be this way inside the church towards each other, right? Not hateful, but loving. But then we're to be that way outside the church. And I understand justice. I understand, you know, what people have done to us and what they've done to you and how they've hurt you. and all. But see, that's what I'm saying. If we're truly born again... And we're truly filled with the Spirit. And Brother Eddie brought that first song, The Comforter Has Come. If he's really come, if he's really, if he's really guarding and guiding your life, then you're dead. Right? We die daily. Last I checked, I say it often, you can go down to the funeral home and you can say whatever you want to to somebody laying in a casket and they're not going to say a thing back to you. You can cuss them and call them every name in the book and they're just going to lay there. And so I just had that this afternoon reading that. I thought, man, what would it be like if Christians just weren't hateful? What would it be if preachers weren't hateful and deacons weren't hateful and Sunday school? I mean, we just, we can be right and still... Be right in love. Amen. So there's sermon number one. Now let's turn to Proverbs 30. Something to think about. Amen. Yes, Something to think about. Proverbs 30. I'm going to begin verse number 29. We're going to go down through verse 31. And this will be our last message in Proverbs for the year and the last message in Proverbs for a while. We've been in it for several years. On Wednesday night, we'll change up in uh, January we're going to start in the book of James and I like the book of James because 
James pretty much says this. You're talking about you got faith. Let's see it. Right? I mean, our, our theme this year is let's find out. Right? And we, we've we've kind of, Brother Matt, we've kind of pushed that towards God and said, okay, we're going to trust you for some things and, and uh, believe for you for some things. And we want to see your power and what you can do. And he's delivered, right? Amen. Now I think it, Now I think we put the microscope on us and say, okay, if we are what we say we are, let's find out. I mean, talk's cheap, right? right. Everybody you talk to say, says they're a Christian, right? Very few people will tell you, no, I'm lost and going to hell. Most people, yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. Well, or I have faith. Well, let's see it, right? Let's see what we got. And so James deals with that, that we're to put our faith into action and actually live our faith. But also on Sunday mornings, we're going to switch gears and get into the book of Romans. And uh, again, I think that'll be very eye-opening. The day we live in, look at Romans chapter 1, we see that really the judgment of God, and that's probably where we are uh, on the, the timeline of, of uh, prophecy that we're, we're seeing some of the judgment of God. And we think, well, God's judgment means fire is going to rain down. Well, that's part of it. But part of it is, look, uh, I'm going to turn you over to a reprobate mind and the things that you want to do so bad, go and do them. Right? right? right. Your conscience is seared, go ahead and do it. Right? Uh, Deal with the consequences of it. Good. But tonight, we're not doing that. Tonight we're looking at Proverbs 30, verse 29. The Bible said there are three things which go well, yea, four are comely in going. Notice, notice the comparison. Three of them are animals, one of them is human. The Bible said a lion which is strongest among beasts and turneth not away for any. A greyhound, a he-goat also, and a king against whom there is no rising up. So, here, the Bible's talking about four invincible things, th four things that really there's no, nothing that can compare to, and we wonder what these things have in common. It's a wild animal, a domesticated animal, a clean animal, and a human being. Now, we look at it and say, well, there's no comparison between it, but the clue is the deeper meaning is found in the first and last item. The first item is the lion. The last item is the king. Right, And so both point to Jesus Christ and they point to his coming again. We know that he's coming as a lion. We know that he's coming as a king. And so uh, creatures emphasize four features of Christ's shore and certain coming. Now the world say, well, Jesus isn't coming. And many Christians, they say they believe he's coming. But we know the Bible teaches, and as we study James, we'll see this, that my belief affects my behavior. If I believe something, I'll behave that way. In other words, if I, if I believe a stove is hot, I'm not going to touch it. Right. If, I, if, I think that, uh, if I think that Jesus is coming again, really, I'm going to live like it. Right. If I believe that I'm saved by the grace of God and that uh, that does not give me a license to sin, guess what? I'm, I'm going to do my best not to commit sin. But see, we're living in a day where you can say you believe whatever you want to, and, and I promise you, you will find someone that agrees with you. And uh, what we've got to do is, is line our life up with the Word of God. And so four things I'll share with you this, uh, this evening quickly. Number one, uh, when we, this, uh, Proverbs 30 is pointing in these verses to the coming of Christ. So how does it do that? Well, first, number one, it says like a lion with sure and certain stealth. Now, as you, you think about a lion, we know that, first of all, we see his power, that he's called the king of the jungle, that there's none like him. And so he is considered the king, right? Amen. And Jesus 
has proclaimed himself to be King of kings and Lord of lords, and therefore we know that he is the king above all kings. And so when we look at this lion, we realize that his whole being is power. Now you look at how big that rascal is, and I don't know about you, you see these people hunting them. I'm not going out there looking for a big old cat that could rip you apart. But it's amazing that people would take something, such a powerful animal, and take it uh, so for granted that they would think that they could match up against it. Well, we do the same thing with God. We say we believe that he is an all-powerful God, but yet we don't believe in his power, right? We, we say we believe God is a powerful God, but yet we doubt him. We believe that God can do all things, but yet we think there's things that he, he won't do for us. Well, I want to say this, that when we get a proper perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ, we realize that nothing can withstand his grip. Hey, listen, when, when, when we realize that when Jesus comes back, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, that he will set all things in order, it doesn't matter how powerful we think Satan is today, Satan will bow before Jesus Christ. Amen. Every king, and we look and say, well, you know, the, the government's corrupt, and we've got all these uh, dictators out there, and we look in South America, and you look here and look there, and look how they oppress people. Well, that's true. But may I say this? They're all going to bow. Amen. And so this evening, understand that he is fast and powerful. He, he comes as a thief in the night. He's telling us as believers that we're to know the, the seasons. We're to understand uh, the seasons, that we're not to be overtaken, but that he will come as a thief in the night. As a matter of fact, he said he'll come when we're not looking for him. Well, if you know anything, watch some of those videos about the lion. He didn't go out in the middle of the road and say, look, everybody, I'm here and I'm going to attack you. And what he does is he hides and there's a stealth to him. And then when, Pete, when the prey is not aware, he pounces out. Did you know this? Now, this is not going to surprise you ladies probably. But did you know that the female line is the one that does all the killing? That means you don't mess with girls. Amen. They're the ones that do the killing. And, and so we see here that the Lord is king and has all power. Good. Brother Sean, I don't know what we're worried about. I, I see Christians that are so tore up over everything. What are you worried about? Yeah. I mean, we, we serve the king of kings and lord of lords, and he's saying that he will come, and he will come as a thief in the night, that he'll come the twinkling of an eye. And, and we realize that he is all powerful. There's none like him. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, he said, I am the Lord, and there is None else, amen. So tonight as we sit here on the side of the road in uh, Davidson County and it seems like the world's gone crazy and it seems like Christians are, are the outcasts. May I say this, one day when the king comes back, he'll set it all in order. And so let's serve him now so that when we come back with him, we'll see him in the great power and glory which he already has. So tonight the line is power, but then you see his prowess. In other words, he can move through the grass with stealth and his prey never know he's coming. Well, there's a world out there, they don't even have a clue he's coming. They're, they're, looking, they're looking for somebody to fix all the problems of the world and they think, well, you know, if, if we uh, uh, socialism will fix it or, or uh, uh, capitalism will fix it or communism will fix it, if we change this and we make these laws, if we do away with these laws, if we, if we set the ills of society right, may I say this? They've been trying to do that from, the, from Adam and Eve. And it doesn't work. 
The fact is, because men are wicked, because our hearts are dark, because we're the enemy of God, there is not going to be things made right until the, 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 the righteous comes and sets it in order. So he's coming, and he's coming as a thief in the night in great stealth, and his prey never knows he's even coming. So he is unannounced until he pounces. Man, I'm telling you what, you better be ready. And you can get ready tonight if you're not saved by knowing him as your Savior. If you are saved, praise God, may I say this, when he comes back, when he comes in the rapture to rapture out his church, man, you better be ready. Well, I'm going to live my life the way I want to right now. You ever seen, you ever seen the, those uh, videos, those, man, those gazelles? They're all right when they're all packed together. But there's always one. Brother Chad, he wanders off. Right? You ever notice this? It's usually a youngster. It's usually one of the naive ones. Right? The one that does not have. You say, well, how, how do you know that? Because if they're old, they probably figured out how to stay away from the lion. And so they're down there by the water. They're drinking. You see all of them, they hear a sound, they pop up. But there's always one, keeps his head down, Brother Kenneth. The rest of them move down here, and he's just staying right here. And that line, he's in, the, he's in the weeds, and he's like, I can't get them. But I can get that one. You ever noticed? There's usually a pattern when people get away from God. You know what they do usually first? Get away from God's people. They get away from the herd. They have that, they have that I don't have to go to church to be a Christian mentality, right? Oh, oh, no, you don't tell, show me in the Bible where it says you've got to go to church two times a week on, on Sunday and one time on Wednesday. Nope, but I can show you where they went every day. Right? I can show you where they went every day. Well, I don't have to go to the men's prayer breakfast. I don't have to go to the ladies' fellowship. I don't have to go pray around the altar. I don't have to go to Sunday school. The kids don't have to go to youth group. You know what I found out about kids? You let them pick. And you let them choose. Most of the time they're going to choose wrong. Oh, the youth's going to a revival tonight. But there's a basketball game down at the school and all my friends are going, well, you go with them. Then all of a sudden, you see him, and I won't go to church anymore. I won't go to church with my friends. I don't want to go at all. Right. I, I've seen it, that's good. Yeah. right? The devil's powerful, but God's more powerful. So that little gazelle gets away from the pack. He goes over here and does his own thing. Before you know it, the line comes out. It's too late. There's a lot of Christians like that. See, they're all excited about Jesus coming back and all excited about the rapture of the church, but they're not ready. And there's a lot of people out there that you know and I know right tonight. Buddy, you know what? They'll say, uh, listen, I know. I know I need to get right with God. I know I need to get saved. I know I need to be in church. Well, however they put it, here's what they're saying. 
Something's not right and I know it, but I'll do it later. Almost thou persuadest me. At a more convenient time. See, the excuses are not new, right? So he's coming. He's coming sure and it's stealth. He is patiently waiting, but at just the right time, he will appear on the scene. So number two, not only does he liken the coming of Christ to a lion, number two, he he likes it to a greyhound with sure and certain speed. Now notice, first of all, the Lord's rejection that when you think about the Jews, they consider dogs as unclean. Matter of fact, Gentiles were considered dogs. I don't know why they didn't consider cats unclean. But dogs. Something's wrong with people that don't like dogs. Amen. But we know dogs are man's best friend, oldest friend. And and think about this. In rejecting Christ, what they were likening him to was a dog. Because they said, we'll not have this man rule over us. Why? Because we do not accept him as king. But here's the interesting thing. To the believer, he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And how many of us, how many of us tonight are saying the same thing? Oh, we'd never call him a dog. But what we will say is, yeah, I, I like my way better. How many in this world reject Christ because they do not see him as King of kings and Lord of lords? And they're saying the same thing. We'll not have this man rule over us. Matter of fact, you know what, Brother Jimmy? There's Christians even sitting in our Baptist churches that say they believe the Bible and they trust God and have faith in God. But in their heart, they they want to trust him for salvation. But in their heart, saying, "I'll, I'll not have him rule over me. I'll let him have part of my life when I want him to, but I want to be autonomous and I want to run my own life and I want to do it the way I want to and I I just want to go to heaven, but I don't want to make him Lord of my life. You also see that in his return, that the greyhound, I didn't realize this, looking at it can run up to 40 miles an hour. I don't know about you, I don't know anybody can do that. Jesus will come with sure and certain speed. As a matter of fact, we know that he'll come as a thief in the night, but also in the twinkling of an eye. And I saw somewhere where they tried to measure that in time, and they never could exactly get the one, one millionth of a second, whatever it was. And they said, I heard a guy put it this way. He says, even faster than you can blink. He said, if you've ever noticed, when, when the light hits an eye, just the right, it'll sparkle just a millisecond. I mean, think about how quick that is. And it's all over. Brother Bart, there's no second, third, fourth chance. It's that quick and it's over. That's why the preparation has to be made before that moment. That's why it's so important as we're singing those songs about Jesus saved and about getting the gospel around the world to every creature. That's why it's so important because when he comes, that's it. And it will be speed. It will be quick. And uh, we understand that he is being rejected now, but his return will be so quick that there can be no chance of a second opportunity. But then number three, he likens him to a he-goat with sure and certain steps. 
And it goes back to the Old Testament sacrifices that there were two different goats uh, that took place in the sacrifice. First was the sacrificial goat. In the Day of Atonement, there were two goats. The sacrificial goat was slain. And that goat's blood was, was put on the mercy seat. And it covered the sins of the people. So every year there had to be another sacrifice. Every year that atonement, the word atonement means covering. The difference between the Old Testament goat and the New Testament lamb of God is Jesus didn't cover our sins. He washed them away. Behold the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So we see that its blood was taken into the Holy of Holies and applied to the mercy seat. And the sins of the people were covered by the blood until the next sacrifice. It was not permanent. And it was a picture of what would come in the person of Jesus Christ. God was making a promise that that was looking toward Calvary that Jesus would come. And that he would cleanse and he would redeem and he would regenerate. And that he would would, uh, wash away the sins of everyone that would believe in him. But the Old Testament, it was a picture. And so they had those two goats. The one was sacrificial and the other was a scape called a scapegoat. And that scapegoat, the second goat, was the picture of taking away the sins and the priest would lay his hands on the head of that goat as to say that he is transferring the sins of the people figuratively and in the picture from the people to the scapegoat. And then someone would take that scapegoat and lead that scapegoat out into the wilderness to never be seen again. And that's the picture of the taking away of sin. And so we understand that when Jesus died on Calvary that there never need to be another sacrificial goat, never need to be another scapegoat because he took our sins and dealt with them. And so the the he-goat Shows us that only the ones who know him, who have had their sins dealt with by the blood of the Lamb, will go with him. And then, fourthly, verse 31, the Bible said, and a king against whom there is no rising up. Jesus is like a king with sure and certain strength. I want you to think about this. We think that you talk to people and say, well, you know, I I control my life and I do what I want to do and I I, I vote and I vote this guy in and, you know, he's going to do what's right and the government's there to do what's right. here's, Here's the problem. Everything that we implement is man-made, right? You look at the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, they're great documents. But they're not the Bible. Man wrote them. Now, I believe God inspired them, not like he inspired the writers of the Word of God. So don't, don't run out of here and say, preach said the Constitution's inspired. That's not what I said. I think it's inspired because if you look at our laws, many of them were taken out of God's word. So maybe influence would be a better word to use. 
but still they're man-made documents. And so we look and say, well, I think this law is a good law. I think this law is a bad law. Well, what's, where do we get that? It's from our perspective, right? And so you may have a different perspective than I have. And so therefore we look and say, well, the, the way that this president or this ruler rules is good or this, the way he does it is bad. And if we don't like it, we'll try to vote them out the next time. Or if they places that can't vote, they'll just have a coup and they'll run them out of town, Right? But see, the, the, the rule of Christ is different because he is righteous and he's holy and he's perfect. And so some people might even say, well, you know, when he sets up his kingdom, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm going to like it because I won't have a say in how it goes. Well, if you think like that, you probably ain't going to be there. It will be the most perfect kingdom that has ever been. And in there, there's two things I'll tell you. First of all, there will be absolute rule. In other words, every monarchy has risen and fallen. Every kingdom has risen and fallen. Every government has diminished and lost power. It may have started out right, and it may have started out in a good way for the people, by the people. But here's the thing. Because we're human and because we're fallible and because we're sinners, the more power any person gets, the more it corrupts them. Right? I mean, you know people that, (coughs) you knew them when they were nothing and they were personable and just like you and then they get some power and they think they're more than they should be, right? And all of a sudden, you know, uh, I've got a friend that's in uh, uh, government Used to, I could call his cell phone and say, hey, man, here's what I think. Now, I call his cell phone and it says, if you'd like to set up an appointment, you need to call my secretary or my booking person. And the number is, I'm like, I ain't calling them. If I can't talk to you, I'm not calling them, right? And so what I'm saying is power corrupts people. I've seen it in church. When... I've seen too many preachers stand up and say this, you know, my church and my people and my pulpit and my choir and my, they, they're not. You're, you're not mine. Right. None of you are mine. Right. I'm your pastor, but that's because you let me be. You're God's people, right? right. This is my church, I, you know. So if we're not careful, I think, and you study the word of God, the man of God, the pastor should be respected. Yes. Amen. Yes, sir. But he shouldn't be lifted up. He should be prayed for, but not put on a pedestal. Paul said, follow me as I what? Follow Christ, right? And so I've seen in church, guys get this mindset that, man, I'm the pastor and I'm, uh, I'm untouchable and nobody can come to me and whatever I say goes and God gives it to me and I give it to you and that's all. No, because we're human, right? How many times people told me, Brother Jerry, well, that's God's will and then they do it and come back and it wasn't God's will, but they thought it's God's will. I've done it, right? We make mistakes. But I'm saying this, that his rule is absolute and cannot be overthrown or diminished. You will never, ever have anything better than your Bible. Amen? There's not a document. There's not a philosophy. There's not a, there's not a webinar. There's not a YouTube. There's not anything. If you, but here's the problem we don't get in our Bible. People don't know the Word of God. 
And so somebody will say something that sounds kind of spiritual and go, oh, I like that. And the flesh going, oh, I like that. I'll throw that in there. Right? This is perfect. You're not. Neither am I. Neither is your favorite YouTube preacher. Neither is your favorite politician. Neither is your favorite sports star or entertainer. They're not perfect. And so what happens is we put too much faith in people and we'll say, well, they're infallible. No, they're not. And so his rule is absolute. Let me say this. He don't need your help. Well, I'll tell you what I think. He doesn't care. I'll tell you how I feel about your word right there. And what I, no, no, he doesn't care what you think. He's not asked for your, your commentary on his word. He knew exactly what he meant when he wrote it. And so we got all messed up. Because here's the thing. People say, well, I don't think doctrine should matter. It should matter. Doctrine matters. Doctrine is what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, you're in trouble. His rule. He's absolute. He doesn't need the Baptist brethren telling him what he thinks. He doesn't need the Pope. He doesn't need whoever. Well, I'll tell you this great religious leader, he doesn't need them. Why? Because what he says goes. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Nobody else can say that. See, I Schofield can't say that, right? Your favorite preacher can't say that. Your favorite Bible scholar can't say that. Why? Because he always has been, always will be. So the, nobody's going to outlast him. His rule is absolute. And so he has not only absolute rule, but he's the absolute ruler. What do you mean? What's the difference? Well, he'll rule with a rod of iron. His will will be the law. It ought to be the law in our lives right now. But one day it will be the law of the world. Well, what if we set up a committee? He don't need a committee. Right? What if, what, if, what if we set up a council? He doesn't need it. He's perfect. He has perfect knowledge and perfect wisdom and perfect motives. Perfect understanding. And we're nowhere. What I'm saying is we can't fathom who he is. So why wouldn't we as God's people just say, I'm just going to trust him. I'm just convinced this one thing. I've been studying. I'm going to do a series next year on faith. We don't have a clue what faith is. Or most people don't. Let me say it that way. All the time people, well, I got faith. What do you mean by that? I trust God. But how come every time something happens, you're freaking out over it? How come every time something happens, you're losing your mind over it? I thought you trust God. Well, I do, but I'm still, fl- then you don't fully trust God, right? right? Now, I know I'm going to get in trouble because there's always somebody that says, you just don't understand. What don't I understand? If God is who he says he is, and I understand our flesh, brother. Listen, I realize we're weak. I'm weak. You can tell me you don't understand. You don't have all the answers. But I believe that book. And when the Bible tells me that I'm, I'm not to care for anything, right, that I'm, I'm to cast all my cares on him, that's every single one. Am I still on? Yes, sir. Be careful for what? Nothing. Nothing. 
Yeah, but you don't understand. I didn't write that. I don't have to understand. If I just give you the book and tell you what the book says, now you've got to argue with God about him not understanding. He's an absolute ruler. Well, I don't think what the Bible says right there is going to work. Well, who are you? Who am I? Right? I can have my opinion, but he's always right. So he will have absolute rule, right? Because he's an absolute ruler. Hallelujah. You say, well, you're saying he's a dictator. I'm saying he's the only tater. Right? He's the only one. It's all going to be about him. Right? Heaven's not going to be about you, by the way. I get to heaven, boy, I don't know what it's going to be like. I'm probably going to be fishing every day at the biggest, going to have the biggest. You just made heaven about you. I thought thought there wasn't going to be any sun there because he was going to be the light. I don't know what my mansion's going to be like, but I'm going to tell you how I'm going to decorate it. <laughs> we get so caught up in us. That's right. So you mean to tell me when we get to heaven, even then, Brother Randy, even then, we, we're not going to make it about him. I mean, we didn't, we're not going to hell right. because of him. Yes, Heaven's about him, and you think it's going, you're going to get there, and you, well, I, I don't like my neighbor. There'll be no they, Peter and John not gonna have a moving company, friend. That's right. Here's my concern: God's people can't get along down here. Right. This is just a dress rehearsal for up there, right? <laughs> absolute rule from an absolute ruler, and it's gonna be perfect. There'll be no complaints. It'll be perfect. That's right. What would happen in this world if everybody was saved and loved Jesus? It'd be a perfect world. That's right. What would happen if, if, if in church we all loved Jesus and just did what he told us? That's what I'm saying. Wow. That'd be an awesome church, wouldn't it? Yes, sir. What would a home be like if everybody in the home said, we just love Jesus so much we're going to put our little fighting and bickering and my way and what I want out of the way and we're just going to serve him because he's... he's... Well, that'd be something. Yes, what if every marriage did that? What if everybody named the name of Christ put him first and said, I don't care how this world treats me. I just want to honor him. Well, that's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be, right? The lion on one end and the king on the other. It's all about him. That whole book right there is about him. You know what I find interesting, Brother Foy? People say, you know, the words of Christ are in red. and you're, I've got one of those red letter editions. The words of Christ are in red. Well, not all of them. Because he wrote it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. That's all. He said it all. I am the word, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You'll find Jesus... You hear people say, you know, a controversial topic. And they'll say, well, I don't see where Jesus spoke about it. That's Old Testament. Well, you just contradicted yourself. He spoke about it in the Old Testament, right? 
Everything, everything he said on earth was not recorded in your Bible. Come on, you're right. Amen. Good. So he's an absolute ruler with absolute rule. He's invincible. Tonight, I hope your prayer for the new coming year is to know him like you've never known him before. I believe this. If you and I would just know him. Just know him. How do you know him? Spend time with him. How do you spend time with him? Right? Tell you what you... I don't know what your goals are, and I'm not telling you what your goals ought to be. But I wonder what would happen if all of us spent one hour a day in prayer and Bible study. One hour. Well, preach, what about 15 minutes? What about 15 minutes? You can spend an hour on Facebook. You can spend an hour watching your show. You can spend an hour reading a book. Spend an hour working out. Spend an hour playing video games. Right? Whatever you, well, I can't spend that. Well, I don't know if I can do it that long. Come on. Yeah. Come on, 24 hours in a day. Right. If you tithe off your time to him, right. that means 2.4 hours yes, ought to be sir. going to him somehow. Yes, sir. Good preaching. Yes, it is. Amen. If I can spend two and a half hours. Listening to podcasts, I surely can spend 2.4 hours. Something to do with Jesus. Be a good goal, wouldn't it? Probably revolutionize our church. We just spend more time with him. Let's gather around the altar and pray tonight. And as we do every Wednesday night after you pray and you're done, if you can't come to the altar, you should pray in your seat if you want to. After you pray, you're free to go. And uh, again, pray for Chrissy's friend, Sophie. I know that they'd appreciate that. Pray for those that are out sick. And hope you'll make plans to be with us for Sunday morning service. We'll have Sunday school and the regular 1030 service. And then we'll have an 8 o'clock. We'll meet for a meal down in the fellowship hall. And then have a 9 o'clock till 12 o'clock service.